Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. We want to thank the president who just tweeted and linked to uh, a segment of Life, Liberty, and Levin from Sunday with Bill Bennett, who was terrific. I hope you folks will check that out. Ladies and gentlemen, I keep hearing Democrats, media types, professors, all kinds of weirdos talk about white privilege. I don't know what white privilege is. I don't know what that means. You have to work in this country to make something of yourself. Even if you're born into a fairly wealthy situation, you got to work to keep it. But the vast majority of people in this country, whatever their race, have no privilege except the privilege of being Americans. But now this race baiting, this absolute bigotry, is mainstream within the Democrat Party. It is embarrassing to watch men in the Democrat Party who want to be president, among other things, grovel on their knees. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to talk about my wife that way. Oh, I, I know it's white privilege. Well, I'm going to tell you something. And I hope you'll join me in this effort. In order to address white privilege, in the Democrat Party, apparently it exists, no white people should be running for president on the Democrat side. We'll deal with white privilege right now. Robert O'Dork, a.k.a. Beto O'Dork, shouldn't run. He's a white guy, and he has white privilege. Joe Biden, do they get much whiter than Joe Biden? No. So why is he running? In fact, why is any white person, male or female, running in the Democrat Party because of white privilege? This is very confounding to me. And the media gives this insanity voice. Jeff Zucker. He's white. He's not much of a person, but he's white. And apparently his executive suite is filled with executive and senior vice presidents who are also white. Well, white privilege. Why don't they resign and allow a person of color? Or a person of Islam? Or a person of a different religion or whatever? To serve in the halls of CNN. Look over there at CNN. White from beginning to end, almost. Very white. Very privileged and white over there. In fact, look at MSLSD. White and privileged all over the place. And so, I figure, if they're going to keep talking about white privilege, they should set an example and resign. And resign. And I've now formed an organization, ladies and gentlemen... To encourage liberals 
in whatever institution they work, media, politics, Hollywood, teaching, whatever, they all got there not because they're any good, because they're white. They had privilege. So I'm going to start an organization, I hope you'll join me, called Caucasians Reject Anglo Privilege, or CRAP. Will you join me in promoting CRAP, ladies and gentlemen? Join me in promoting CRAP in the Democrat Party. Join me in promoting CRAP at CNN. Join me in promoting CRAP at MSNBC. And among our tenured professors. And in Hollywood. Caucasians reject Anglo privilege or crap. We need to spread crap all over the country to address the left and their arguments. So we've created crap as the only real way to engage them. I think. Now I want you to listen to what spurred this on. I want you to listen to what spurred this on. Beto O'Dork. Now, most hosts start with Beto O'Dork. I usually don't, but I'm making a point here. So who better than this punching bag? And by the way, they're all the same on the left. He can't tell a dime's worth of difference between them. Except the identity politics. I'm going to run with a woman, says Cory Booker. I have a better idea. Why don't you step aside and just back a woman? No, 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 I can't do that. This is my Spartacus moment. No, it's your schmuck moment, but that's okay. Here's Beto O'Dork on Meet the Depressed. Cut seven, go. I would never uh, begin by saying I'm at any disadvantage at all uh, as a, a white man um, who has had privileges. Now, let's just others. stop. Isn't this embarrassing? Isn't this humiliating? Oh, I would never have at a disadvantage at all as a white man who had privileges. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Could not depend on or take for granted. Uh, I've clearly had advantages over the, the course of my life. I think recognizing that and understanding that, that others have not. Are they all psychos on the left? And uh, understanding that I'm a white man who had white man privileges. Privileges other people didn't have. Advantages over the course of my life. I, I recognize this. Please don't hold my whiteness and my genitalia against me. <laughs> you know, it's insane. If they weren't actually running for president and stuff like that, you, you, you would have to laugh at this stuff, this political party that is called the Democrat Party. From anti-Semitism to the race baiting to the crackpot proposals that they make, I mean, you would have to create this party. Go ahead. I can to ensure that there is opportunity and the possibility for advancement and advantage for everyone. Well, there is. You step aside and support Kamala Harris. Who else is running? Who's a minority, Mr. Producer? Oh, Cory Book, but he's a male. He's out. He's got who? No, but she's white. Elizabeth Warren's white. That's true. She's Native American. So if you're white or a male, any combination of that, you're out. As a matter of fact, we should go for it. If you're white and a male and you're straight, anybody who's straight should get out. Is anybody, as an example, anybody running today on the Democrat side who is a lesbian? 
or otherwise gay? Anybody running on the Democrat side who's bisexual? What's the Q part? I don't even remember. Questioning. Questioning. Anybody transitioning? No. So I, I think they're all disqualified, ladies and gentlemen. They're all disqualified. They're all privileged. They're either white, male, or straight. That, to me, is unacceptable. Go ahead. Is a big part of this campaign and a big part of the people who comprise this campaign. Beto O'Dork, one more. Cut eight. Go. Recently, you drew some criticism uh, for a remark you made about sometimes helping to raise your kids. And while many will understand your remarks as acknowledging the hard work that your wife does for the family, I think it opened up some real conversations about a few things, particularly the role that women are expected to play in society uh, when it comes uh, to taking a backseat to their partner's uh, career ambitions, but also the difference... the different way women who choose to run for mm-hmm, office mm-hmm, being treated mm-hmm. uh, uh, versus men. So um, mm-hmm. surely that is valid criticism. Uh, how would you respond this to that? This is like a freak show. It's like a really stupid college class. You know, I, I think the issue is here that we must, be, we must really confront and uh, come to grips with is uh, expecting your partner to take a back seat as you... Uh, as you Pursue your career ambitions, but also the difference uh, in the way that uh, women choose to run for office may be treated versus men, particularly white men with privilege, as you know. And usually this is asked by like a white guy who's at Harvard, like like he doesn't have privilege. Like, and 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 we 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 really I feel as a society that we we need to address this. We need to come to terms with genitalia, what we do with our genitalia whether we keep it or remove it or add to it. or We need to come to terms with our pigmentation. Pigmentation, we need to come to terms with it. I believe the lighter your skin, the more privileged you are. And so we, we need to address things of that sort. And, uh, and of course, uh, the way you spoke about your wife, you were admiring her, you were, you were supporting her, and, uh, you know, somebody might take that as a put-down, that you're putting her down, that, that she's in a traditional role. And what do we mean by traditional roles, anyway? It's a, a, I don't know. I find this all so confounding and troubling. What do you think, O'Dork? Go ahead. What did that moment teach you? Yeah, it, it's, it's absolutely valid criticism. It's a valid criticism with my white privilege, with my... Way I spoke about my wife in a loving way. I should never have done that. Never have done that. Uh, I am a, a you know I'm I'm promoting my straightness, my genitalia. I'm promoting my whiteness. I'm promoting things that are offensive to so many people, and that's why I'm I'm running this campaign. You make valid points. It's constructive criticism. That's why I'm I'm running this campaign the way I'm running it. Go ahead. And it's constructive criticism. Yes, it, yes. It, it has already made me a better candidate. Not only will I not say that again, um, but but I'll be much more thoughtful going forward in in the way that um, I talk about our marriage. Now, listen, li- listen to this. The idiot's running for president, right? He buckles under this stuff. I'll be much more uh, 
forward, you know, thoughtful going forward the way I talk about our marriage. The guy's been married, what, 20, 15, 18? I don't know. He's got kids. Now he's running for president. I'm going to be much more thoughtful about the way I talk about our marriage. Go ahead. The way in which I acknowledge the truth of the criticism that I have enjoyed white privilege. This is, this is, (laughs) this is like sitting in on these gestalt sessions with all these morons. Do you have something you want to say to your wife? Yes. Yes. I'm sorry I called you a wife. That puts us on an unequal plane. We're people, not husband, not wife. We're, we're partners. We're partners in, in life. And I apologize for that. I'll never speak about my wife like that again. Not only that, this guy over here, look how white he is. You know what? You're right. That's a, that's a constructive criticism. I am white. And as a result of being white, everything's been handed to me. I haven't had to work for a damn thing. I haven't had to work for a damn thing. On my resume, all I say at the top is white. And I'm hired just like that. I get promotion. It's like CNN. There I am. Or maybe the conga line of hosts over there at MSNBC. White. White. Everywhere we turn. White. White privilege. Are you serious about this man, ladies and gentlemen? He is pathetic. That whole Democrat side is like a group mental patient session. These weirdos who come to these town hall meetings. Have you really considered the way you address? No, we haven't, jerk. Why don't you sit down and shut the hell up? That's the way he should be addressed. But now you can see why I've started Caucasians reject Anglo privilege or crap. Because I feel we must confront all this with crap. We must spread the meaning of crap everywhere we possibly can. We need to crap on these candidates as as best we can. Crap on the media. Let them know we're out here crapping. I'll be right back. The new congressional leadership is in town, but there's nothing new about what they're pushing. Big government, centralized government, iron-fisted government, higher taxes, more regulations, open borders. They're on a mission to obstruct our freedom and undermine our sovereignty. Yours, mine, all of ours. And too many representatives don't care. This is the nature of progressivism. It's an ideological poison. And the best way to fight it is with knowledge, information about liberty, about the Declaration, about the Constitution, and how Congress is supposed to work. It's up to we, the people, to understand what our government is and is not supposed to do. And that includes Congress. And thankfully, my good friends at Hillsdale College have brought back the powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress, and it's absolutely free. Please take advantage of this remarkable offer to equip yourself your family, your friends, your neighbors with the knowledge that all of us should have about our Congress and our government generally. Hillsdale College is on a critical mission to restore liberty in our great country. And you can take their excellent online courses for free for a limited time. So sign up right now for this important course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't anymore so we can do something about it. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Several years ago, my father was given a uh, jacket, a leather jacket, not just any leather jacket, 
It was signed by, and I don't remember the exact count, 15 Medal of Honor winners? From the World War II era, most of them. You know what's funny? I don't know how many were white, black, Latino, or whatever. They were great American heroes. They did things that are unbelievable. When I was a kid, I got a book from the government printing office, or document, about all the Medal of Honor winners. And I used to read it at night. The things that these men did. It never even occurred to me to wonder what the race was. Never occurred to me. You go to military cemeteries all over this country. And you look at row after row after row of headstones. Of of markers. The overwhelming majority of them are Christian. And the overwhelming majority of them are men. And the overwhelming majority of them are white. This is in no way. No way to take up the cause of white versus black. I am responding to the left and to the Democrats and their line about white privilege. I say this as a Jew who has olive skin. That you Democrats and your leaders are taking us to a very bleak place. A very bleak place. A very horrible place. Your identity politics is poison. I know it advantages the Democrat Party. It advantages the media and their ratings. It advantages nobody else. White, black, Latino, Asia, it doesn't matter. It is destructive. It is, a, it is an attempt to turn American against American. And that's what the Democrat Party has become. It has a history of this. It's like an alien being. It, it, it changes form. It changes arguments. It changes looks over time. But the core is the same. That Democrat Party is constantly tearing at the fabric of this nation. Whether it's slavery or segregation or Jim Crow or today balkanization, tribalization, race baiting, anti-Semitism. And it's the majority party in this country, or it's the largest party in this country. It's getting bigger and bigger. In the media, you journalists, so-called, you're the propagandists for this. You're a disgrace. I'll be right back. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound 
to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community helps students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Let me... Side issue, but still important. Let me let me explain how things work here. If these twelve Republican senators who voted against the president with Pelosi on the National Emergencies Act, claiming it was a separation of powers issue, right? The vast majority of the bureaucracy, federal programs, violate separation of powers. You show me where in the Constitution it was ever contemplated or in Madison's notes, or in any of the ratification notes that I have read, where it was ever contemplated that the executive branch would house a massive bureaucracy that would pass laws and pose penalties and fines, including criminal penalties and fines, um, outside of the legislative branch. Can you show me where that is? Yet every single one of those 12 Republican senators who beat their chest and pat their own heads over separation of powers and that they're pure and that they did the right thing, vote time and time and time again to fund the federal bureaucracy. And so you see a situation where one of the senators who voted with Trump and against Pelosi, who voted for securing the border, they're questioned on their consistency. Their consistency on the issue of separation of powers. But none of the 12 are questioned on their consistency. Susan Collins, who is a liberal Republican, she's never questioned. Lisa Murkowski, who is a liberal Republican, she's never questioned. Lamar Alexander, who's a rhino, he's not questioned. None of them are questioned about their inconsistencies. We even have one of the gang of 12, the dirty dozen as I call them, who's proposing a new federal program, tapping into Social Security, Social Security which is which has already been ripped off. There are no funds in Social Security because all that money went into general operating, and so you get IOUs. And at some point, say the trustees of Social Security, I think it's about 10 years, give or take, there's nothing left, not even of the IOUs. And so we have a proposal from Republicans that say, you know, uh, here's what we'll do. If you decide you have children and you want to have a paid family leave, you can get paid out of your Social Security account, of course, of which you have none. And that just means you have to retire a little later and you get paid later in your... Uh, Really? Really? And what's your proposal for saving Social Security for the out years? They don't propose anything. It's a complete ruse. Now, none of them are questioned about their inconsistencies. None. That's why for these 12 to vote the way they did, it was actually an easy vote. Because now they can, oh, I'm a constitutionalist. No, they're not. Rand Paul is not. 
Rand Paul's a libertarian, but he's not a constitutionalist. They're not mutually exclusive, but in his case, sometimes they are. The War Powers Act. They just used the War Powers Act to stop the president from any activity related to war in Yemen. The War Powers Act is unconstitutional. You can't pass by statute limits on a president's power when it comes to foreign policy. Oops. What you can do, however... I have to hang this up. Hold on, folks. I apologize. What you can do... Oh, yes. Is this a, a Beto O'Dork? Yes, it's a Beto O'Dork. Yes, yes. Really, really. Okay. Anyway, so um, they're not questioned about any of it. You'll notice. Anyway, I want to get back to this in a moment. What I'm going to do... You know, I don't normally do what I'm going to do. I want to go through some of these clips. I mean, I've got a lot I want to talk about. It's, you know, over the weekend, you think about a lot of things. I write a lot of notes to myself about issues I want to raise with you. But this attack on Trump about white supremacy, about what happened in New Zealand, it just keeps going on and on. It's going on now. And I just can't sit here and pretend that it's not. I just can't. And let me tell Omar and Talib, the first women Muslims elected to the House of Representatives. There's a difference between Muslims and Islamists. There's a difference between patriotic American Muslims and Islamists, radical Islamists, as in any other religion or any other walk of life. When it comes to Omar and Talib, they are radical Islamists. They're not Zudi Jazz, so they're not, you can name a hundred. They're not the kind of Muslims I know and I talk to who revere this country, who love this country, and are not anti-Semitic. They are. And we are allowed to make the distinction. We make it among all other races, we make it among all other religions, and we shouldn't be told that we cannot speak up when there are injustices going on here. When you really love your country, you love our founding documents, you love the idea of a melting pot, assimilation, the American culture, people from all walks of life, all religions or no religion at all, people of all colors coming into this country because they love this country, they love the idea of this country, they love liberty. And there are forces, not just outside the country, but inside the country, who are taking a jackhammer to its foundations. And if they're elected to Congress, it doesn't mean we're not going to talk about them or the group CARE with its ties to Hamas, a radical, radical organization, this CARE, has secreted itself into our society and they get to call the balls and strikes? No, they don't. Not with me and not with most people. Not with me and not with most people. The problem with Omar and Talib is they are radical Islamists. Not that they're Muslim. There's a difference. And we all know there's a difference. And we ought not make excuses for it. And Omar has driven this anti-Semitic agenda out of the closet of the Democrat Party where they couldn't even pass a resolution condemning her for what she had said. Not once, not twice, but repeatedly. Repeatedly, because she's 
a radical Islamist. That's why. She's not a patriotic Muslim. She's a radical Islamist. And that should not be defended. Any more than any other kind of extremism in a religion or whatever it is should be defended. There's a difference. And to try and turn this horrific terrorist murder of 50 people in New Zealand into a political opportunity to attack the President of the United States is unconscionable. And it continues to this day in the media and the Democrat Party, which are one and the same. By the way, I should have a great announcement for you next week. I can barely stand it, but I have to, I have to wait. Gregory Meeks is a Democrat from New York City. He runs in a one-party congressional district. Now listen to this on CNN today. Most of this is on CNN or MSNBC. They pick these guests for a reason. Cut one, go. The president is supposed to be, and he is, the most powerful person in the world. And therefore, he has the biggest megaphone in the world, mm-hmm. and he uses it for other reasons. But on this, and any time we're talking about white supremacy or white nationalism, he chooses not to use it. Uh, and the language that he uses continually. I mean, even when he talked about the horrific incident that took place in New Zealand, he came back and was talking about invaders. Now, let's which- stop. Let, let, let's stop. Go to your dictionary and look up the word invader. So go ahead and Google it. So if the president uses a word that is apropos, that is defined in a way that applies to his use of it, he's triggering white supremacists. Now this is what has to stop here. This is what has to stop. People are invading our country. They're not immigrating legally to our country. They're coming here illegally. They are aliens. They are organized by individuals both in our country and individuals outside our country. That's the problem. Not the word invader, not the word illegal alien. They're trying to get us all caught up so we can't even discuss these issues. We can't debate them. We're not allowed to engage in them. And we downplay the infractions that are taking place. This is what's going on. It's an attack on free speech. It's an attack on thought. The word invader itself should not trigger a mass murder and did not trigger a mass murder. This disgusting subhuman mass murder was Australian. And he went to New Zealand to slaughter parishioners, Muslims. Not even an American. Go ahead. The same kind of language that you see white nationalists and white supremacists use on a consistent basis. I don't know what kind of language white supremacists and white nationalists use on a consistent basis. Invader? But even if they do, what's that have to do with the rest of us? I don't know what they do. What they say. Go ahead. Uh, and then you add that on the kind of rhetoric and things that the president has said 
whether it's during the campaign or even before the campaign started, you know, whether it was about Barack Obama and his status. Let me ask you something, Congressman Meeks. What about calling Trump Hitler? What do you think that does to people? What do you think about calling Trump uh, Stalin? What do you think that does to people? What do you, what do you think about calling Trump supporters neo-Nazis, as was done on MSNBC? What do you think about calling Trump mentally unfit to be president of the United States? Why don't you mention any of these things? And the constant, the refrain from the Democrats that anyone who disagrees with them is a racist, racist, racist. Everything's racist. Or if you don't agree with the so-called conclusive science on man-made climate change, you're a denier. A word taken right out of the Holocaust-denying crowd and used by Chuck Todd. What do you think about that? Or what about the Black Lives Matter movement? Or the Black Panthers movement? Does that mean all African Americans agree with that? Of course not. Does that mean all elected politicians who won't put it down agree with that? Of course not. Or what about Louis Farrakhan and the things that he has said? I don't know. Has Gregory Meeks ever condemned Louis Farrakhan? Has he? I don't know. Now we go to Keith Ellison. We know he's never condemned Louis Farrakhan. He worked for Louis Farrakhan. They used to call him Keith X. And we know about his uh, a little abuse problems as well. But so impressed with Keith Ellison is CNN that they brought him on the show and this low IQ, negative IQ type, John Berman, listen to what he has to say. Cut to go. What is the role in your mind of that type of language? Or what's the impact of it? That- now, see, this is not a reporter. This is an individual who's trying to stir the pot. He brings on a guest that he knows will racialize this issue, and he sets him up. So what is John Berman exactly? Go ahead. Well, one thing it signals is that there is some connection. I mean, the fact is that he not only is the word invading used or invader by the white supremacists in Europe and the United States and the United and and the president. Also, this term replace replacement. They will not replace us. You see this term propping up, popping up all over the place. Replace popping up all the time. I didn't even realize that. Did you, Mr. Producer? The word replace is popping up. I missed that one. So you see, Trump is sending coded words and signals, as are all of you. When you use the word invader, you're obviously a Klansman. To use the word replace, you're obviously a neo-Nazi. This is sick. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. 
And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers in Primus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Primus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. You know, I, I hear uh, this Cory Booker. Well, let's do this. Cut three, Mr. Producer. Go. There has been about 80 plus terrorist attacks since 9-11. The majority of them have been right-wing extremist groups. And the majority of them have been white supremacist groups. So let's stop there. I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't know what the point is. I'm not a right-winger, are you? I'm not alt-right, are you? We're not right-wing extremists, are you? Since when did supporting the Constitution, a colorblind society, freedom of religion, individualism, constitutional limited government the rule of law become right wing the media have very loose lips they talk about the right and the left I'm not of the right the way I view constitutional conservatism is we're right in the middle we're the core we're the glue that holds this place together Which is exactly why all the threats that I've received so far, death threats, have come from neo-Nazis and Klansmen. Not from Muslims. Not even from Islamists. So, when politicians talk this way, we're supposed to, no, 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 not 80, but what about the left? I don't really think that's particularly useful to characterize it that way and I'm not sure what Cory Booker's trying to get at or these attacks on the President of the United States except cheap political exploitation of the worst kind I'll be right back He's here He's here Now broadcasting from the underground command post Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Great piece at The Federalist by Shireen Kudasi. If I mispronounced the name, I'm sorry. She is Muslim. And I can't read it all. It's a long piece. Um, She's a Muslim-American reformer, she writes, writer on faith, identity, and belonging. She's co-founder of Toke for Tolerance, a radically honest interfaith festival, and she campaigns to challenge alienation in theological spaces. When the newly elected representative Ilyan Omar kicked off her acceptance speech with As-Salam Alikum, I felt a space of belonging. There was a feeling that American Muslims had arrived, but what arrived with them and which versions of Islam was going to be represented through her 
and fellow Muslim freshman Representative Rashida Talib. As-salam alaikum means peace be with you. That how Omar has carried herself in the weeks that followed has been anything but peaceful. Now it's interesting that this individual has not appeared on most of the left-wing cable nutjob shows, has she? And this is how the media distorts. Not only through their own mouths and eyes, but through that of others. Omar accused American Jews of holding dual loyalty toward Israel. However, there was no word of her loyalty to Islamist supremacism and its gold star prize of advancing the Palestinian cause by decimating the Jewish state's right to exist. This is a Muslim writing. Omar dehumanized President Trump by saying he's not really human. Now Omar has survived a war zone. It takes a distorted mind to have received dehumanization at such a scale, then dehumanize another. Omar had trouble distinguishing between her opinion and a fact when discussing Senator Lindsey Graham, whom she accused of being compromised with no evidence to support that smear. Her high frequency of tweets and statements peddling anti-Semitic tropes led to congressional resolutions against anti-Semitism, which Omar made about Islamophobia. And with the Council on American-Islamic Relations influence, the House resolution mutated from a specific issue to a catch-all that includes Islamophobia, a term that has no tangible meaning and is extended from initially meaning fear of Islam to being any perceived criticism toward Islam or Muslims, even if it comes from other Muslims. Omar frequently backpedals on her statement, saying she's been misunderstood. There's a term for this, gaslighting. A fellow Muslim reporter, reformer, Dr. Zudi Jasser, a good friend of mine, pointed out Omar relies on the excuse of naivete granted her by the Democratic Party. The gross level of permission given Omar to continue to be hateful and unrepentant is its own form of prejudice that sounds a lot like an inner Democratic monologue that might go like this. The poor little oppressed brown Muslim, this is her, not me, is overwhelmed. We need to help her. Yes, we need to help her. We help her by giving her the dignity and respect of being treated as an adult, a peer, and a colleague. If we're going to be generous, we help Omar by recognizing we're looking at someone deeply affected by war and powerlessness and unsteady in wielding power. We help her by holding her accountable. The reluctance to hold her accountable stems in part from this idea that these are clumsy missteps. Yet none of this is new for Omar who served in the Minnesota House of Representatives in 2017, a role she stepped into after being politically active in her community. This is her second public office, and she enters her term with a trail of interviews that show a consistency in provocative and extreme views. Past interviews offer telltale signs of revulsion toward America and a disturbingly odd defense for terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah. Omar has also asked for leniency toward ISIS terrorists, even though Minnesota's Somali community has a radicalization problem, but has been hesitant to commit to defending young Somali girls against female genital mutilation. The Somali community also scores high for ritualistic cutting. For the public at large, Omar isn't destroying any stereotypes in public office. In fact, so far she reinforces the stereotype that someone like her would believe what someone like her actually appears to believe. And that makes it almost insurmountably more difficult for other American Muslims. Because of her behavior, we will be hated more and trusted less. 
Her effects on the American Muslim community are complicated to tease out. Pushing aside her unwavering Islamist allies and most ardent public supporters, we find a mixed bag of American Muslims who find themselves struggling with a representation as a Muslim. As one American Muslim pointed out to me in private conversation, she is the right enemies. Those enemies include Saudi Arabia, which despite its current favor with the Trump administration, is collectively hated by American Muslims for their unwillingness to sever the head of Wahhabi ideology and terror funding. It's also hated for its gross human rights abuses and failure to leverage its wealth and power to offer humanitarian assistance to displaced Muslims. Yet, Omar is pictured sitting in private meetings with Turkish president and Islamist dictator Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Her position on LGBTQIA issues is also divisive. Deeply disapproving of her anti-Semitism, liberal Muslims will align with Omar on her support for gay and trans issues, while traditional or conservative Muslims will further distance themselves. Meanwhile, Muslim reformers and traditionalists all but align on Omar, except on her criticisms of Jews, the state of Israel, or however else she might package those views. On that, traditionalist and fundamentalist Muslims are divided even among themselves. All of this is to underscore that it's not possible to peg Omar as representative of a collective Muslim identity. However, she checks off the boxes for Islamist representation. And that comes down to three key factors. I'm reading this for you out there, the media. One, vitriolic hate for Israel while blurring or tolerating gross anti-Semitism alongside sloppy scrutiny of Israeli policies. Two, absolute disinterest in good faith engagement and dialogue with non-Islamist personalities, particularly Muslim reformers. Three, using Western political channels to advance the agenda of Islamic supremacism, where Islam is narrowly defined by a small segment of Muslim demographic, of a Muslim demographic. This demographic drives the public narrative through a visible Muslim identity, which must currently be seen as oppressed or victimized to gain additional public favor and tolerance that then reinforces the underlying supremacism. Now, in underscoring that point, I want you to hear Rashid Talib with the clueless Jake Tapper over at CNN. Just remember what she just wrote. And I just read, cut four, Mr. Producer, go. You also said in a statement after the attack that you were angry at, quote, those who follow the white supremacy agenda in my own country that sends a signal across the world that massacres like this is some kind of call to action. Who, who are you specifically talking about? The ones that stay silent and the ones that support the Muslim ban. Not only once, but twice, three times did we. There was never a Muslim ban. There are many Muslim majority nations. The vast majority of the population in those nations is Muslim. The vast majority of those countries weren't on any list. The president put together a list, not unlike Obama's list, of war-torn countries where terrorism is on the rise, where the governments are incapable of telling us who these people are, and the president said, no, I want a six-month moratorium so we can figure out vetting. That's all he did. That's all he did. And look what he's called, and look what they've done, and in the end, the federal courts upheld his decision. What a disgrace to turn this in the race. But Talib is exactly 
exactly what this Muslim reformer, Shireen Kudosi, is talking about. Go ahead. And say to the world and to everyone in this country that Muslims don't belong here. From the fact that... The president time- never said that. And of course, she's not interrupted by Jake Tapper. She's saying what Jake Tapper wants to hear. Let me go back, may I, to this article by Shireen Kudosi, a Muslim reformer. Islam weaponized as a political tool, including weaponizing language such as Islamophobia, only advances Islamists. Islamism is not a representation of Islam. It is, however, a representation of an expansionist ideology among Muslim supremacists. The clumsy poster displayed at the West Virginia State House, and it goes on anyway. It's a very compelling article. Very compelling. She says, in some criticism of Omar's actions is not an attack on her faith, nor is it an attack on the Somali community or her skin color. It's an attack on Omar's actions, or raising the question of if and how America failed in integrating Omar and the community that influenced her. As we pan through her tweets, interviews, and legislative work, we're looking for American values that transcend race, color, and creed. Those American values aren't defined by whether she practices Islam, chooses to wear a hijab, and so forth. Those factors are absolutely irrelevant here. We're looking to see if she can isolate the values that give rise to a nation she and her family sought refuge in from war-torn Somalia. That is what I don't understand. They sought to come to America. And yet she clearly hates this country as an Islamist. If you have difficulty identifying what distances America from foreign terror groups, for example, or deflect criticism with your accusations of racism or bigotry versus engaging in a sophisticated debate of ideas, then once at the helm of power, you run a risk of not being able to keep America from becoming another country to escape from. Omar is part of a growing legislative arm of the Islamist body a body that was already well-formed by lobbies, cultural icons, and academics. Yet as Muslim reformer, my concern is less with Omar and more so with the debilitating chaos, controversy, and polarizing communication breakdown that she brings. That is what Islamists do. They create chaos because they thrive in chaos. Shireen Kudosi, Muslim American reformer, writer on faith, identity, and belonging, and so forth. This is the point I was making in the first hour, trying to make in the first hour, that she makes so eloquently. Omar and Talib do not represent the American Muslim community. They represent their districts. And they are radical Islamists by what they say, by how they conduct themselves, by the politics that they practice. They are puppets of care, which is a radical Islamist front group connected to Hamas, which is connected to the Muslim Brotherhood. These aren't conspiracies. These are facts. Facts. And this is a growing movement force within the Democrat Party, which is why they could not bring themselves to target a perpetrator, a provocateur in Omar with a properly written and formulated resolution. But they will spend all day and night trashing the President of the United States as if he had anything whatsoever to do with the brutal mass killings in New Zealand by an Australian. 
I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. It works. All right, let's take a few calls here. What is it? Let's go to Robert Cromwell, Connecticut, the great WABC. Go. Mark, thank you for taking my call, and thank you for your immeasurable contribution to the defense of this country. Thank you, sir. Um, I want to comment about uh, how Democrats seem to be all upset with the role that uh, Mrs. O'Rourke has played as a housewife, that they see it as oppressive and restrictive to her full potential. Yet they had absolutely no problem in disqualifying Sarah Palin as a legitimate candidate for vice president of this country because her role really should have been at home. First of all, it doesn't really matter to the Democrats what women do, they're going to criticize candidates they oppose regardless, aren't they? Absolutely. Even if we, we have, look, I'll give you examples. We have women who are nominated for judgeships. There was one recently nominated for the D.C. Court of Appeals. She was not a stay-at-home woman. She was a well-educated woman. She had written well. They went back and looked at things she had written in high school and college and tried to destroy her. Uh, the next time the president nominates a constitutional originalist to the Supreme Court, and it's a female, watch how they treat her. They won't care about any of this. We've seen this every 10 years or so. You have Robert Bork, you have Clarence Thomas, you have Kavanaugh, the way they treat other human beings. So either you're with them or you're against them. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom. doesn't matter if you're the smartest human being on the face of the earth. None of that matters. None of it matters. It's all about politics, power, and the Democrat Party. Thank you for your call. Michael Soledad, California, the great KSFO. Go. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? Okay. Hey, I want to thank you because you've been a, a guiding light and a beacon to everybody. Um, well, what I don't you know. Do for our government and our country, there's no one like you, and you're you're like a prophet, Mark. As far as I'm concerned. Oh, good lord! I'm not, but you're, thank you. I appreciate you're, it. You're you're keeping us uh, abreast of things, <clears throat> and uh, we need you out there. Uh, and I also wanted to say, Mark, is, um, you know, I see on Facebook and these different things. I'm seeing all the time this white privilege thing, and I'm so disgusted with it because I think. I don't give a damn what race you are. People should all work together, and and there shouldn't be uh, all this negative stuff. It's more biased and and more um, racism that I've seen in a long time. Uh, and you're right. And the Democrat Party is committed to racializing, to race baiting. And I have to tell you, uh, I put a lot of this blame on Barack Obama, who could have been such an incredible uniting figure as our first African-American president. But that's not what he did. That's not what he did. That's not what his party has done since. Same with the anti-Semitism. It grew under Obama, and it's gotten out of control now under the Democrats. I'm just being honest again. That's the way it is. And <coughs> excuse me. And not only does the press tolerate it, the president covers it. Excuse me. The press covers up for it. And uh, 
like this diverting attention to Trump on the uh, slaughter in in New Zealand, and they tried to blame him for the slaughter at the uh, Jewish synagogue in Pittsburgh. And they say, oh, the president should have given a speech. The president gave a speech with respect to the slaughter in Pittsburgh, and he raised those issues, and he was mocked for that. There's nothing this president can do that is acceptable to the left, to the media, and, uh, and it is a constant drumbeat. And when you really think about it, Michael, it's not even really the president they're attacking. It's his supporters. It's the people who voted for him. It's the people he represents. That's the truth. The left hates at least half of America. You can't keep attacking America and America's institutions and not hate America's people. Because America is a representation of the American people. Michael, thank you for your call. We'll be right back. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. If you owe the IRS back taxes, you're no stranger to anxiety. And it's justified because the IRS can take your paycheck, bank accounts, even your home or business. Now here's your lifeline, Optima Tax Relief. Optima knows that tax problems can affect anyone, contractors, truckers, small business owners, teachers, you name it. Optima knows that behind every tax problem are families with paychecks, savings, and homes who need to be protected. But Optima can't help you if you don't call them. Imagine no more demand letters, no more threatening calls, and no agents showing up at your home or office. I'll take a deep breath and relax, finally. Optima's got your back. Optima has resolved over a billion in tax debt for their clients. They're experts in IRS Fresh Start Initiative, and they're the folks I trust to end your IRS nightmare. There is no better, folks. And if you're concerned, now's the time to contact them. You want to know why? Optima Tax Relief. You contact them, you'll get a free confidential consultation. A free confidential consultation. Just hit these numbers. 800-499-6300, 800-499-6300, that's 800-499-6300. Let us go to Jim, Gulf Shores, Alabama, Sirius Satellite, go. Hi, Mark, thank you for taking my call. It's great to talk to you. I'm a great admirer, and I think you do a wonderful thing for the country by fighting this anti-Semitism and talking about the news media. 
And I, I, I kind of had a question I wanted to ask you, but I have a little bit of a prologue to it, if it's okay. Go I ahead. guess what I'm going to ask is, uh, is the fake news really propaganda? Mm-hmm. And um, the reason, and you mentioned Obama just recently, uh, I think it goes back to him because when he was applying to Harvard, there's an interesting article Investors Business Daily about at the time, uh, he got recommended by uh, the economic advisor to the Saudi prince for Harvard Law. And then uh, shortly after that, Harvard Law gets $20 million, Put that. Oh, with the, I remember uh, that. Boy, you had to go into the uh, deep recesses yeah. of your brain for that one. Yeah, no, you're right. No, but listen to this, too. You know, the uh, Saudi uh, economic advisor had changed his name. His name was Al Mansour. He contacted um, uh, Percy Sutton and... Um, in the uh, in Manhattan, and uh, uh, Percy Sutton has a spot on the internet saying he recommends. What, what's Obama. your What's your question, Jim? Before I run out of time. Oh, oh, oh! You know when Obama got in, uh, the ABC, CBS, and, and NBC were all basically owned by General Electric, which needed a bailout and was dropping from sixteen to seven or something like that. And Obama. Whoa, 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 slow down! All three were not owned by General Electric. I really don't know, but I think there's some dots there that could be connected. There are no dots that can be connected. There is groupthink. Uh, that that certainly exists, but there are not financial dots that can be connected. I know of none. Chamber-like. It's What's that? Very strange. It sounds like an echo chamber. All these there is things. an echo chamber, and there's a reason for that. What, there's what? a reason there's an echo chamber in our in our uh, faculty, at our universities, in our law schools. There's a reason there's an echo chamber in our high schools, in our in our middle schools. There's a reason there's an echo chamber in Hollywood. There's an echo chamber uh, in most of our institutions. I'm going to send you a copy of Rediscovering Americanism. Don't hang up, Jim. But there doesn't have to be a financial connection, and that's where we get a little off the rails here. James, Minneapolis, Minnesota, XM Satellite, go. Yes, uh, Mark, thank you for what you do. Uh, I'm a 30-year veteran. Um, and still going strong. Uh, but Thank my you, question is, is is for uh, Robert O'Rourke. How is if he can't stand up for being white? How is he going to stand up in foreign policy? Uh, he, is he going to go on the second uh, um, apologetic tour? How, why Why would you apologize for your race? You can apologize for question. something you you can apologize for something you did. Jim. But how can you? Why would you apologize, whatever your race is, for your race? And, and it's it just so weird. You know, our enemies must be looking at us and rooting for the Democrats. They must be saying, "Look how weak these people are." It's absolutely unbelievable. Let me ask you: Do you, do you think the red Chinese would rather have Trump as our president or one of the Democrats? One of the Democrats. Do you think the Russians would rather have Trump as president or one of the Democrats? Well, do you think the Iranians and the North Koreans would rather have Trump as president or one of the Democrats? One of the Democrats. Of course. Thank you for your call. Which is pretty scary that you have a big chunk of Americans that would want one of the Democrats. I mean, the Democrats are getting billions and billions and billions of dollars of free opposition research, free media for the 2020 election. That's why these media outlets keep attacking the President of the United States. To defeat him by hook or by crook. That's the goal. 
And look at the media. We have this story. You probably saw it by now. Reuters, right? For uh, Beto O'Dork. Reuters reporter Joseph Men. This was over the weekend. Exclusively revealed on Friday that Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Dork belonged to one of the best-known groups of computer hackers as a teenager. Within minutes, his special report was the most popular story on Reuters.com. They're excited about this. It was picked up by other news outlets. But the origin of the story goes back more than two years. The origin of the story goes back more than two years. Now, isn't that fascinating? Since the election was November of 2018. It goes back more than two years. It goes back since before... I guess, parts of 2017. The point is that Reuters and this reporter, Joseph Men, sat on the story. Sat on the story. Because they wanted O'Dork to win. Sat on the story. In an interview with Reuters, we also know of how, uh, let's see here, let me read the whole thing to you. Members of the group, which calls itself Cult of the Dead Cow, protected O'Rourke's secret for decades, reluctant to compromise the former Texas congressman's political career. After more than a year of reporting, men persuaded O'Rourke to talk on the record. In an interview in late 2017, O'Rourke acknowledged that he was a member of the group on the understanding the information would not be made public until after his Senate race against Ted Cruz in November 2018. So they sat on it. In an interview with Reuters senior producer Jane Lee, Men, the reporter, explains how he broke the story and got O'Dork to open up about his hacking days. I decided to write a book about the cult of the dead cow because they were the most interesting and influential hacking group in history. They illustrated a lot of the things that I think are fascinating about hacking and security work. While I was looking into the cult of the dead cow, I found out that they had a member who was sitting in Congress. I didn't know which one, but I knew they had had a member. Then I figured out which one it was. And the members of the group wouldn't talk to me about who it was. They wouldn't confirm that it was this person unless I promised, and I wouldn't write about it until after the November election. That's because the member of Congress had decided to run for a Senate. Betty O'Dork is who it was. I met Beto O'Dork. I said, I'm writing a book about the cult of the dead cow. I think it's really interesting. I know you were in this group. This book is going to publish after November, and your Senate race is over. And he said, okay. And he told me about his time in the cult of the dead cow. As long as it wouldn't affect his Senate race. Is that a reporter? Is that a journalist? What is that? What is that? Is that a propagandist? Is that an ideologue? Is that a partisan hack? Is he all those things? Pretty incredible, isn't it? Ari, New York City, the great WABC, go. Hey, Mark uh, Levin is a longtime listener. Thank you. You can lower the radio, and it would be easier for you to hear me. Go ahead. And yourself. Hey, Mark. Yeah, so I just wanted to comment. So I think uh, the Democrats, what they're trying to do right now, uh, they're trying to crowd the field just to get their name and their policies out there. I think what they're trying to do is copy what the Republicans did in 2016, only difference is that the Republicans, they're running against Obama's failed policies, so they had a much easier time doing that, getting the name and the policies out there. But now what the Democrats are trying to do, they're going to have a really hard time because basically Trump, I mean, everything he's doing is really just amazing, just his economic policies, 
um, you know, with our allies, everything on the world stage. So, let me, let me disagree with you slightly. I don't think these candidates all got together and said, let's flood the field. I think each one of them actually believes that they can be president, wants to be president. But then why are they doing it now, 2020, if they actually think that they're going to win? Why well, you need to start now. You need to raise the funds. You need, you need to start campaigning early. Um, now would be the time to do it. But I just don't see them having a chance right now. I mean, especially well, that's the- a different issue altogether. Uh, I uh, I would never underestimate them. I would never underestimate their, their capacity to steal an election. You saw what went on in California, race after race after race. And uh, I would never underestimate the enthusiasm of the kook left of the Democrat Party. You always got to run like you're behind. It's like a military operation. You always got to got to prepare like you're the underdog. I, I agree with you there, Mark. Ari, God bless us. Let's move on. Ben Casablanca on the Mark Levin app. How are you, Ben? Not well, apparently. Let's go to, let me just look up, Jim, Gulf Shores, Alabama, Sirius Satellite. Go. Jim, what's happening? Everybody's dropping out? We okay? We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I want to take a minute and to thank you folks for supporting our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition and making the choice to live a healthier life. You've been hearing me talk about Field of Greens and now, thanks to you, they have over a thousand five-star reviews. The fact is, there's never been an easier way to improve your health and feel better. And that's why I use it. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. They know what they're doing. They only use the best, nothing fake. And then you just add one scoop to a cup of water, stir, and you're done. Some of you are still skeptical, so listen up. I really want you to try this. So we teamed up with Brickhouse to do their biggest sale in my memory. To celebrate St. Patty's Day, which you just did, some of you still are, you can get Field of of Greens for 25% off plus free shipping. Now, this sale ends this Friday, the 22nd, so you don't want to wait. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 25% off your order with the promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin, L-E-V-I-N.com, promo code LEVIN. Just a reminder, 100% USDA organic a natural source of vitamins and minerals. It helps boost your immunity. It includes organic strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, cranberry, pomegranate for, for antioxidant strength. Helps boost your metabolism and with original, look, organic ginger and green tea. Field of Greens, folks. I really want you to try it. Field of Greens. It's tasty. It's an easy way to get the vegetables and fruits and the nutrition that you need. And it tastes good. BrickhouseLevin.com, BrickhouseLevin.com, promo code Levin. Give it a try. They're having a really, really good sale right now. 25% off plus free shipping. Just give it a shot. I think you're going to love it. 
All right. Let's see if we can pull up my call screen, because we do take calls on this show. Let's go to Cameron, Reno, Nevada, Sirius Satellite. Go. Hi, Mark. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak to you, and I, I wanted to float a theory by, if you have a minute. Yes, yes. Um, so I'm sure you've heard of the saying of how to boil a, a live frog in a pot. Well, that actually came from Milton Friedman. People don't give him credit where credit is due many decades ago. And that is you put a frog in a, in a pot and you slowly turn up the heat and over time it boils and the frog, because it's a slow heat, doesn't realize it's boiling to death. Absolutely, absolutely. And Isn't that a lovely thought at dinner time? <laughs> well, it, it seems to me that that's what's been happening with our culture and our society in regards to this, uh, this slow creep towards socialism or communism, or this other whatever leftist ideology you want to call it, and I almost wonder that if we if we were to do something to to turn up the heat rapidly, say if we were to just sit the next election out, and no, 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 I don't believe in self-flatulation as a as a way of punishing somebody else. No, sitting the election out, what is that going to do? Oh, I wonder if the American people were to see the results right in their own home. And how do you reverse them? Well, hopefully the American people wise up after. But, but how would the let's say let's say you're right? How would the American people reverse what the government does? Hopefully at the ballot box. Well, tell me, have we reversed Obamacare at the ballot box? Well, no, sir, we haven't. And didn't the Republicans control the House, the Senate, and the presidency? They did. That's why. And John and John McCain sabotaged it. You're not allowed to say that, apparently, but that's what happened. Well, I guess it's a long shot. Didn't we elect Republicans to secure the border? The border's wide open. Well, time and time again. So I I don't think sitting out the election helps, and I don't think elections necessarily are going to turn the corner. All they are is a temporary respite. No, I think Article Five Convention of States. We have the mechanism. We have 14 states that have voted aye. And that's the best way to get our country back. But thank you for your for your call. I understand your frustration. Trust me, I really do. Esther, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Esther, Porum is upon us. Are you aware of this, Esther? Please don't remind me. Anyway, oh, right. Right. Um, yes. I've been uh, working on a I'm working on a campaign now, so I've been like I'm panting because I just finished uh, petitioning. But let me tell you about what Ari said. Ari, I hope you're listening. I'm much more experienced than you are. Uh, an insidious insidious policy began under the Obama administration, where ICE would automatically submit to the New York City Board of Elections names and addresses of all those new immigrants who settled in New York City and registered them automatically as Democrats without their consent. I was working on a phone bank, and one of the people from the phone bank got off the phone, and she was multilingual, like I am, similar to like I am, and she was shocked. This woman, she called somebody, and she's already a registered Democrat, and she just got into the country. I said, well, ICE is handing over those names and, and addresses automatically, though there you go. And that's just, that was just one example, and I'm sure there's many more. I, I just, they put on dead people. They don't take people who move out off the registration roll. I'm, I'm petitioning for a candidate now for precinct captain. And it is not, it's gotten better than it was a couple years ago. But you know to, what they did to, uh, two years ago? They removed 800,000 registered Republicans from 
the Brooklyn registration roll, no discussion, no nothing, and when they started putting them back, they put them back as Democrats. And one of my neighbors, it happened to one of my neighbors. What happened to one of your neighbors? Did it happen to 800,000 people? Uh, one of the people who was removed was the brother of the former chairman of the county committee. But, I mean, I don't think it happened to 800,000 Republicans. Well, they were I, I'll bet you there aren't even 800,000 Republicans in Brooklyn. <laughs> You'd be surprised. They won the precinct. I, I would be surprised. <laughs> the problem is that uh, the Republicans run such lousy campaigns that they run themselves into the ground. But that, but if I, you want me to go into that discussion, I can go into that. No, 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 that's all right. Listen, Esther, we appreciate it. Have a great forum. You know that story, or don't you, Mr. Producer? Not really. You're Catholic. How would you know? And you study the Old Testament very, very carefully, don't you? Of course he doesn't. We'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. You are heavily engaged. Our call screen is full. We will be getting to the call screen. Ladies and gentlemen, the third hour of a three-hour program is typically when hosts kick their feet up and just slow down. We don't slow down. We never take our foot off the gas pedal. When you look at the Democrat field, what are we really looking at? Oh, I know. Clods, clowns, and kooks. But beyond that, What are we looking at? Subjugation. Isn't that what they're proposing? Subjugation? Transformation. Of your lifestyle. Do you hate your lifestyle so much that you want it fundamentally altered by faraway politicians and faceless bureaucrats? What will become more powerful if the Democrats are elected is the massive bureaucracy and them. Democratic politicians. Not you. Not you. This is an attack on the constitutional order. 
an attack on the constitutional order. And uh, it's an attack on the civil society. It's subjugation and transformation by a voracious and unappeasable administrative state. That's the object of the progressive ideologue, as I've written about this. The purpose of a constitution, or at least ours, is to secure politically the human harmony within the civil society so that individual liberty, equal justice, and civil order may be nurtured and maintained. The founders were also fearful of the dangers of constant rebellion and revolution. They made clear that changing governments is a matter of the utmost seriousness, requiring wise judgment. Now, the progressives are well aware that the Declaration and its governing expression, the Constitution, are enormous impediments to their purposes. Why? Well, the form of government that best reflects the values of the civil society and secures its existence is constitutional republicanism, not democratic socialism or whatever the the fad name is it for these days. So it's now obvious various doctrines of administrative state centralization have been developed and increasingly accepted. Progressives insist this is the normal evolution of government from a pioneering revolutionary period to an increasingly complex and modern society. But despite the extensive writings about the supposed professional governing class, which will run our health care and our schools and everything else with a specialized expertise that will presumably bring not just order to chaos, but utopian-like perfection to humanity, it's fair to ask, well, who are these people? Who are these guardians? And what makes them experts? Are they experts by specific technical training or as generalists? Are they experts by graduating from Ivy League schools? Are they experts by experience, knowledge, or judgment? Are they experts by training in the social and behavioral sciences or the physical sciences? Are they experts because they're more humane and compassionate than the citizenry over whom they rule? By what measures or standards are the experts? And who determines that these guardians are experts? How does the voter and the political environment factor into administrative decision-making? Do these administrative state experts even attempt to discern the public will in a particular general matter when fashioning rules and regulations? Or do they deem their function apolitical and therefore immune from any such considerations? Indeed, is their purpose to defy the electorate if they perceive the electorate defiant of their expertly determined policy? The issues surrounding the centralized administrative state are endless. The progressives and their philosopher kings who have debated among themselves for decades and even centuries about the best forms of a paradisiacal rule give scant, coherent, or practical direction. The fact is that the progressives are no more capable of organizing a complex society than a complex society is capable of being organized. The progressives' deliberate effort to denude the individual of his free will and uniqueness This endless talk about race. To organize mankind by a growing and ubiquitous centralized authority and collective command into a conforming uniform mass. 
and to reject right reason and sober circumspection about true reform of the progressive project to fight its manifest failures and dangerous boundlessness presents all the markings of a nihilistic autocratic mentality unsurprising considering its ideological roots these democrats running now are nihilists and they have an autocratic mentality that is ready for this mediaite they flirt with fascism they flirt with a soft form of fascism in which they intend to use the government an iron-fisted government to impose their policy objectives on the population that's their intent to take your health care that you've earned against your will all they need is a majority vote against your will that's what's going on now what's troubling about all this is this is really dark stuff this is really bleak stuff and it rejects so much that we know about civilization and mankind's experience with this ideology on the left it rejects Aristotle Cicero Cato Adam Smith Edmund Burke Montesquieu Locke the founders It embraces Marx in one form or another, Engels, Hegel, Rousseau, among others. And what's particularly evil about this is they convince people that by surrendering their liberty and their property and their free will to a handful of people who would run this army of a bureaucracy to run this government, that they will somehow achieve heaven on earth. This is the promise. Just listen to them. Nobody should go without a job. Nobody should go without health care. And when you need it, immediately. Fill in the blank. Nobody should have to pay for X. Nobody should be denied Y. And it is through this appeal to the impossible that they're able to advance their bleak ideology. And people will surrender their liberty, surrender their lifestyle for a promise. And the left has figured out how to do this with its propaganda. How can you argue against equality? How can you argue against health care for everybody? How can you argue that anybody who wants to go to college should go to college? How, do, how can you argue this? How can you argue that? How can you argue that? You're arguing against a myth, an impossibility, an impracticability. You're arguing against nothing, and yet everything. And then you try and lay out the facts, but people are already emotionally and passionately embracing an agenda that they can't even properly explain. They're turned off. It's it's almost a, a, a religious fervor. People are hypnotized to this. 
Now, if you take things from people in the private sector, even to give to somebody else or take it for yourself, that is a crime. You didn't earn it. It doesn't belong to you. You don't have a right to do that. But if you do it as a politician or a bureaucrat and you dress it up as compassionate, that which is otherwise lawless becomes noble. That which is otherwise lawless becomes noble. Stealing is noble. Taking from somebody and giving it to somebody else is noble. Just call them rich and the other one poor. So things that would occur in the civil society, things that would occur in the private sector, things that occur among citizens that are considered immoral and illegal, or one or the other, in the public sector they're considered noble and compassionate. How can that be? How can that be? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. about the cost of health care and insurance companies keep shifting more costs on the patients. Deductibles have more than tripled in recent years and drug discounts are being swallowed up by pharmacy benefit managers. Now we've talked about benefit managers last week, PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers. They're supposed to negotiate better drug prices for patients, but these middlemen actually make more money from higher list prices. Democrats are using higher deductibles and fewer discounts at the pharmacy as an excuse to socialize our health care. But that will simply mean higher taxes and more government control. The result will be scarcity, less choice, and fewer breakthrough drugs. So while President Trump wants to immediately eliminate the system where PPMs benefit from higher list prices and pocketing drug discounts meant for seniors and other patients, the Democrats want to keep this perverse system. And oddly enough, you know who else? The AARP, that's right, along with wanting foreign price controls and placing restrictions on seniors' access to more expensive drugs. Could that be because AARP makes billions of dollars from partnering with insurers to sell Medicare supplemental insurance plans? How AARP can justify keeping health insurers and PPMs more profitable at the expense of seniors? It's playing right into the Democrats' socialized medicine playbook. Here's the point. Get the facts. We have a special website for you. Go to truehealthcarefacts.com, truehealthcarefacts.com. That's truehealthcarefacts.com. All right, Mr. Producer, I have lost my call screen yet again. Who do we have that's interesting, compelling? Emil, California, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Fascinating so far. Are you there, sir? He's not there, Rich. WGAC, Tony in Georgia, go. Appreciate you taking my call, Mark, and I still appreciate the book you gave me a year or so ago. That's a while back. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, it's just that uh, everything that you you talk about, especially when it comes to the black community, I mean, when, when you break down all of what you've just said in your monologue and even up to now, it's like a lot of them they refuse to go back and research this type of stuff. 
you know, it's almost like they don't even believe some of these things are even happening around, and they're happening around, and especially like, that, you know, I just looking at some things that happened in Dearborn, Michigan, how Michigan has been taken over by the, you know, the Muslim community, basically. It's mostly Muslim now, <laughs> you know, and like some people don't even recognize it. They're saying that they don't even recognize their community anymore. And I'm sitting there saying that's the way it's getting uh, throughout a lot of the black communities where, you know, even though Trump got quite a bit of the, uh, 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 quite a bit of uh, of a leap in the number of blacks that are supporting them now, but there's still such a large swap of blacks out there that still are just confused about what's going on. Well, listen, you know, when you when you hear the media day in and day out calling him a white supremacist, I mean, I mean, they are intentionally trying to drive his numbers down with uh, with minority groups in this country because you might remember last August. One of the major polling companies, Pure Gallup, said that his support in the black community, particularly with males, was like at 21%. And, you know, if Donald Trump were to get 15, 18, 20% of the African-American vote, he'd be unstoppable. Mm-hmm, exactly. Exactly. I mean, because, when, and like I said, with these cable channels, and like I'll admit, you know, working at Kimberly Clark and Kellogg, you go into the break rooms and and they're actually fixed on CNN. But you turn into Fox, oh man, they have a conniption. Oh, I know. <laughs> so you walk like, through an airport, all you see is CNN, CNN, CNN. I mean, it's unbelievable. Exactly. Because they used to be a real news channel. Now they're they're kind of a joke. I know, right? Appreciate you taking my call, Mark. Thank all right, you. man. God bless you. That's Tony, right? I remember Tony's a good guy. I think I send him liberty and tyranny. Got a new book coming out soon. I can't wait. Can't wait. I mean, I'm chomping at the bit. I can't say literally because I don't chomp at a bit, literally. Kristen or Kirsten Gillibrand. I don't even know why she's running. She's a complete fraud. She used to be a moderate congressperson. It, I guess we're supposed to say, from a more rural area of New York. And now she's hard left. And I don't understand. She's definitely white privilege. She's almost albino privilege, I would say, Mr. Producer. Translucent privilege. May I say? Am I allowed to say? Uh, Anyway, here she is. Cut five. Go. Given the attack on the mosque there, how concerned are you about the rise of white nationalism in the U.S.? You know, this is the shoot. You can see how the reporters are pushing this. You can see how the reporters are put. If you got in an airplane, it would take you like 20, 24 hours to get to New Zealand. This has nothing to do with America. Nothing. But they so hate America, whether it's the press or the leading Democrats or whatever, that America is projected onto this sickening piece of you-know-what who did this mass murder in New Zealand. It's America. It's our president. Go ahead. Very concerned about it because President Trump finds moral equivalencies. He literally, um, in the Charlottesville issue, he just kept saying, oh, there's good people on both sides. Well, no, they're actually... It's not what he kept saying, you idiot. And you are an idiot. That's not what he kept saying. We read the transcript on the air. He denounced the neo-Nazis. He denounced the Klan over and over and over again. And when he talked about good people on both sides, he was talking about the debate over whether or not to pull those statues down. Because there were a lot of people there on both sides who had nothing to do with Antifa, nothing to do with the Klan, and nothing to do with the neo-Nazis. That was his point. We all know that was his point. We all saw it with our own two eyes. We all heard his press conference. I read the transcript a week or two ago. We know what he meant. We know what he said. You people keep trying to change it. 
You keep trying to turn him into this hateful human being that he's not. Go ahead. Because there are people who are white supremacists, who are racist, who are anti-Semitic, and the rise of hatred in our country has only grown. How about Omar? Did you condemn Omar from Minneapolis, St. Paul? She's not a white supremacist. She's an Islamist. Did you, com- did you condemn a fundamental Islamist? No, you didn't. Or if you did, you did it in a very coy way. Then condemn them all, which is what you should do. The President of the United States has nothing to do with any of this. I'll be right back. Americans meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. Man, oh man, Shevitz, have you looked into LegalZoom lately? Unbelievable. According to the Associated Press, small businesses have an optimistic outlook for 2019. With March being National Small Business Month at LegalZoom, it's the perfect time to stop putting off your business needs. And if you're thinking of starting a business, it's time to place a bet on you. And LegalZoom can help you. During National Small Business Month, LegalZoom is celebrating entrepreneurs like you by offering 15% off their fee for incorporating, forming an LLC, nonprofit, and much more. If you're not sure which type of business you need, they have tons of education and online tools to help you find the one that fits. And if you already have a business, they can help you get in a better position, too, legally. Plus, you can save money getting legal advice that will help you run your business. LegalZoom isn't a law firm, but their network of the top independent attorneys around the country. can They can review contracts, help with employment laws, lease agreements, and more. Place a bet on yourself and your business right now at LegalZoom.com during National Small Business Month. Don't forget to use the code LEVIN. Hello! Levin, L-E-V-I-N, and you'll save 15% off LLCs, corporations, and more. That's LegalZoom.com, code Levin, LegalZoom.com, code Levin, LegalZoom.com, code L-E-V-I-N, LegalZoom, where life meets legal. And they ain't kidding either. Randy, Sacramento, California, XM Satellite, go. Hi, I'm a healthcare professional. I've can you prove an- that, sir? Yes, I can. I've done an anesthesia for over 40 years, and I've been involved in the field for over 50 years. In and 19- uh, which field have you been involved in, sir? A- anesthesia. Anesthesia. So you're a doctor? Yes. Okay. And Good. I have, uh, in 1986, the federal government essentially laid the groundwork for taking over health care and becoming a single-party payer. And the Clintons tried to further that, tried to seal the deal, as you well know, in the 1990s. But what has transpired ever since has been a rapid plunge into insolvency for health care, which has transpired by manipulation of insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, and, and uh, medical supply companies. Let me ask you a question about that. Were they all manipulating the healthcare system 50 years ago? No. So what's changed? Well, the government had decided 
because it didn't want to go broke paying Medicare bills, which were unchecked at that time prior to 1986. Well, no, no, I said 50 years ago. Medicare started at, what was it, 65 or 66, I guess. 65 is when... uh, uh, is when Medicare was instituted. It was the slow poison that eventually killed health care, but it took about 30 to 40 years. And I wasn't involved in health care until the 70s, but at that time, it was a very simple system because there were not that many services that were available. So the government took on this big behemoth thing called Medicare to help all the people who were less fortunate, right? Now, you know, there were different kinds of proposals back then. Uh, It wasn't just Medicare was the most aggressive, the most uh, uh, akin to a centralized government program. There were other proposals of health care that would simply apply to poor people. And they passed Medicare, and then on the heels of Medicare, they passed Medicaid. And so what happened was, as you know, when the government gets involved in these things, there's not only enormous waste, fraud, and abuse, but they drive up the cost of everything. So they drive up the cost of insurance. They drive up the cost of medicine. They drive up the cost even of a medical education because they have this hugely distorting effect on the market. And you have more and more people who will pay less and less to see a doctor or to get some kind of treatment. And they have to be subsidized somehow. So they are subsidized. People say, well, why do I have to pay so much for an aspirin? You're not paying for an aspirin. You're paying for all the other people who aren't paying for health care. That's what you're paying for. That's only one part of it. The other part of it is they reduce systematically the fees to the professionals, physicians and mid-level professionals, to the point that no one has any time and the price of quality is time. You can write that down. The price of quality is time. Hold on now. No, How do you spell quality? All right, go ahead. Okay. No professionals have enough time because they're so underpaid to actually assess their patients, really put together a good treatment plan that's effective and implement it, as well as come back and reassess it later on. So we've created such an inefficient system that we actually have ballooned the cost of caring for people by not paying for proper assessment up front. I would love... Well, it's it's all part of the same thing. When you have this total uh, economic dislocation, you change the whole notion of supply and demand. Uh, When you have more demand than you have supply in the system, then you have to cut stuff when you're the government. You have to cut reimbursements. You have to cut the ability for people to see specialists. You have to cut the quality of care. You've promised everybody the world, and you can't deliver. And so they're always looking at these various parts of the industry or parts of the process where they can cut. And this is the problem. This is why I I talk about pharmaceuticals all the time. If we get uh, socialist-style price controls in the system— People don't understand what that means. What that means is effectively rationing. That means less quality, new quality uh, uh, discoveries. And the price will eventually go up because people will be a greater and greater demand. 
and less and less ability to provide for that demand. And that's what you're suffering through. That's what you're living through. You're living through a soft socialist system, and it's getting more and more aggressive. Well, and what people don't realize is the real brilliant people, the real qualified people, the real dedicated people are essentially already out of medicine. There's a little remnant left, but in the next three to five years, you won't be able to find competent specialists no matter what kind of Well, they're importing a lot of doctors, aren't they? Yeah, and that's substandard. Mm-hmm. I know it's politically incorrect to say that, but foreign graduate medical students are substandard by a significant margin. And there's studies to prove that, but no one's willing to, to talk about it. No one's willing to talk about these issues. Mark, I would love to do a three-part series for you on your television <laughs> show. All right, pal. Thanks for your call. I bet you would. I already gave you like five minutes, but no, we're not going to do a three-part series with a stranger. No offense, but it doesn't work that way. Any more than I'm going to practice anesthesiology, Mr. Producer. All right, but thanks for your call. It was very informative, as a matter of fact. Aaron Dixon, Tennessee, the great WGOW. Go. Hey, Mark, I'd like to try to coin an expression, uh, get you to help me do it, to shame these um, politicians, if possible, who see race everywhere and use race to promote their own agendas. They're race pimps. Well, I've heard that phrase before, actually. Oh, man, I thought I was on something new. Well, that's no, a good one. That's exactly I, I've, I've, I won't use it, but I've heard it before. Thank you for your call. All right. Too many connotations there, I think. So we'll stay away from that. And I don't believe the gentleman meant any of it, by the way. Joe, Queens, New York, the great WABC. Go ahead. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Okay. Um, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm a long-time listener, over 10 years. Thank I've you. I've met you a couple times. I've read all your books. You've Thank signed you. a couple of my books. But uh, more than anything, I wanted to say, like, I know this is a little off topic, but, you know, I want to give a shout-out to the president because, I mean, he is really fighting this fight by himself. These weak Congress people, you know, on, on our side, mm-hmm. they're, just, they're just not stepping up. They're just not, you know, you got Jordan, you got Meadows, but, I mean, to be honest, those are the only two I really hear fighting the fight, you know? And it's just frustrating. Bob. Well, there's more, but there's not enough. I mean, to lose 12 Senate votes on such a crucial issue on how we secure our sovereignty as a nation. We're not sending people off to war on this vote. Uh, we're, we're trying to secure our communities, secure our neighborhoods. We're trying to, uh, to limit the amount of deadly drugs that come into the country, of MS-13 uh, uh, killers who come into this country. The president has tried everything. He's tried working with Congress. And then when Congress rebukes him and he uses the National Securities Act, I actually had a, a a friend of mine who's a contributor say, well, once Congress rebukes him, he can't act. I said, what are you talking about? It's not what the statute says. He tried to work with Congress. He still has the statute. He has his own duties under Article 2. He is the executive branch for, for all intents and purposes. He is the commander-in-chief. He can move funds around. Congress said he could. What's he supposed to do? Line a fetal position and say, I can't do anything? The, and the idea that 12 Republicans... And, and, and they are celebrated by the liberal media. And they knew they would be. They're celebrated. And these Republicans think they're really standing on principle here. No, they're not. 
This was not a separation of powers issue as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, it, it's incredible, Mark. And uh, you know what? I feel for the guy. I mm. feel, you know, to fight to fight like this by yourself, it, it, it can't be easy. No. And, and they go after his family. They go after his finances. They go after his staff. They go after his friend. His friend. This is what it was like living in the Soviet Union. This is what it's like living in these tyrannical regimes. It's, it's a disgrace. And look at the media. They play along. Media is not interested in limiting the power of government, the power of prosecutors. No. And this is why you, most of you out there, and, and the vast majority of the American people cannot stand the modern media. All right, my friend. I appreciate your call. But here's something. A new USA Today Suffolk University poll finds that trust in special counsel Robert Mueller has eroded. And half of Americans now agree with President Trump's contention that he has been the victim of a witch hunt. Meanwhile, support for the House of Representatives to seriously consider impeaching the president has dropped since last October by 10 percentage points to 28 percent. So 28 percent of those surveyed support impeachment. And yet this is all we hear day in and day out. And we even hear the pretenders that, well, I don't really support impeachment. We'll see what the report has to say. There they are lying in wait, the Pelosi's and so forth. You see, they're objective and they're, and they're reticent. And then they get all of a sudden this Mueller report. Oh, my God. Well, we got to go get Trump. We got to get him. And let, what they're doing and what the media are doing, and they know it, is they need to move that 28% figure up. If they can get it up into the mid-30s and the low 40s, into the mid-40s, into 50 then they'll seek to impeach the president of the United States. And if they can't, they're going to say, well, anyway, we drove down his numbers, so we should be able to beat him for re-election. This is all contrived. All of it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. think the expansion of uh, Medicaid does, where it puts more and more people on a government system by increasing the income for an individual and family, what do you think that does? Again, it puts more pressure on the system, more demand and less supply, and it never ends. It never shrinks. I got a very, very cool thing I want to tell you about. If you've never been on a cruise... If you've never been on a cruise, I think there's one you're going to want to look into. And my good friend Brent Bozell at the Media Research Center is planning a Mediterranean cruise September 13th through the 24th. And it really is going to be a great program. I wish I could go. A lot of good friends of mine will be there. Now, for all the details, you need to go to mrccruise.com. <clears throat> Excuse me, mrccruise.com. Or give them a call, 888-MRC-TRIP, 888-MRC-TRIP. Now listen to this lineup so far, and this is just the beginning. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, great columnist Cal Thomas, Jason Chavitz, Joe Piscopo, Terry Jeffrey from CNS News, one of my favorite websites. And they'll be announcing more speakers soon, but you're going to want to get in fast. There'll be over a dozen private sessions with these folks and lots of time for Q&A. 
as well as opportunities to discuss issues with the speakers over dinner and at receptions. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful trip. And I know this is going to be a trip you won't want to miss. All the details are available at mrccruise.com, mrccruise.com, or give them a call right now, 888-MRC-TRIP, 888-MRC-TRIP. Now, I want to warn you, they sold out last year, and they sold out pretty quickly. So you don't want to put this off. Go ahead and give them a call, 888-MRC-TRIP, or go to mrccruise.com. Thing is, you want to be with people who you're comfortable around who you share principles with, who you can have fun with, who you can have interesting conversations with. They're outstanding lineup as well as, you know, people you'll become fast friends with for the rest of your life. It's going to be fun. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be uh, interesting. You'll be on the ocean. You'll have beautiful stops. MRCCruise.com or give them a call, 888 888- MRC trip. All right. Nabel or Nabel, I apologize. Bentonville, Arkansas, the great KFAY. I'm sorry. How do you pronounce your name, sir? It's Nabil. It's I'm my sorry. pleasure to speak to you finally. Thank you. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I am a Muslim. I am an American. I've been an American citizen for the last, uh, well, six years now. And I am very happy to be an American and Muslim. And I'm also a supporter of Israel. And I don't like these two fools in Congress who keep using their religion, you know, which happens to be my religion also, to advance an anti-Semitic agenda. And no, criticizing them is not Islamophobic. And there is a difference, as the as, as other Muslims have said to me, between a Muslim, a Muslim reformer, and these these Islamists. Yeah, the thing, the problem with these two, the one uh, Omar. Her family, I understand, used to work for a communist government in Somalia before they came out here. So I, it's I didn't know that. Weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. they work for a communist government. I mean, it's kind of weird. With me, it's I. I tend to be somewhat deeply spiritual mm-hmm. as a Muslim, and I'm very observant. And I also, I mean, I I, don't, I wasn't always um, how would I say it, a conservative libertarian politically, but mm-hmm. I kind of evolved this way, and I also evolved to become pro-Israel. And more so because of historical factors, I can go over. I can I can just go on and on about it. Where are you from originally? Originally, I'm from Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Very very Bangladesh, poor country. Yeah, but I also lived most of my life abroad. I lived in Nigeria, Great Britain, Iraq, before Saddam Hussein. By the way, uh, been to Lebanon, been to Kuwait, been to a whole bunch of places, been to Europe. Uh, the thing that I've seen over my uh, over my time is that. Um, you have all these media people running around saying, you know, trying to speak for me, and I'm like, no, you don't speak for me. I know what I've been through in my life, and I've seen the good and the bad and the ugly. And I'll tell you what, America is not hated and looked at as a racist country by a lot of people around the world, especially in Africa, where Nigeria, where I was for many years, people actually looked up to Europeans and Americans saying that, you know what, our countries don't work. Their countries work. Nabil, I want you to call back again. So we can explore these ideas further, okay? I will. I really appreciate your call. Very well well spoken and said. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Don't forget Levin TV tonight. It's a good one. And I'll see you right here tomorrow. God bless. God bless.